passion, curiosity, and a problem to solve. You can cross half the things off your list, most likely by just that stress test. The other one I would say is interview your customers before you ever have a product, before you spend any time developing. Understand from the people who would buy it, is that really the problem? Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really happy today to welcome my guest, David Delcourt, who is the Chief of Flavor at Seed Ranch Flavor Co. and Grown As Foods, which are two brands under the same company. So welcome, David, to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you. Me too. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your companies and what it's like to have founded them and where you're at. So just give me a little bit of background so that people have context for where you're coming from. Sure. Well, um, Seed Ranch Flavor Co., which is the LLC that has both those brands. I started that in 2017, uh, initially a kind of experiment into bringing the culinary back into the world of hot sauce. I started literally at farmer's markets, you know, around Boulder, Colorado. And I, you know, just really wanted to bring that inspiration in the kitchen that I felt to a, a category in a space that was just vinegar and spices and peppers and really experiment in the kitchen and bring that to, you know, from farm to bottle to table. During the pandemic, in fact, I started making a vegan mac and cheese for my now 11 and seven year olds who were huge fans of Annie's and, and other regular mac and cheeses. And at some point they started really loving Papa's mac and cheese, as they said. So that was kind of the, the moment where we took sauce, it became seasoning, became a vegan cheese powder and grown as foods was grown literally <laughs> out of out of that ex- experiment of really cooking, you know, for my family, for my friends. and. Yeah, my title is Chief of Flavor, and what that really means is everything that we do starts in my kitchen. So if you know it's not lab-developed food, it's really developed in my kitchen to our customers and our fans and our tribe's table. I think once people start their brands and they get them going, there's a little less of that, this is grown, made in my kitchen and tested in my kitchen thing. So that's kind of interesting, especially since the brand has been around for a while. It's not brand new, but you're still talking about it that way. Are you still creating the hot sauces in your kitchen before you bring them to market or is that process changed at all? No, no. In fact, I think if anything, it's become more real that literally the first benchtop versions, you know, we don't sell those obviously, but that's, it all starts with, you know, a blender and ingredients that I can see, touch, smell, taste, you know, and really run by people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's easy to forget that, especially when it comes to food, right? It's the lowest common denominator that we share in many ways as humans is eating together around one yeah. table. And so really being able to bring something that delights me and then test it with a small group of people and continue to expand, mm-hmm. right? From test batches in my kitchen to test batches with our co-manufacturers. It's so core. And it really gives a soul I think, an emotion to the, the food and 
we see that when we when we get to you know whether it be at shows or various places have people both consumers or buyers or industry folks taste it's that aha moment of just mm-hmm. like oh oh this is not what i expected this yeah. is delight you know in every bite right it's kind of this everyday magic idea so you started seed ranch and then a second brand under the sort of we'll say master but not really master brand mm-hmm. they seem very different from each other but did you get to a place with Seed Ranch where you felt like, okay, time for something else? Or did you stumble upon it because of what you mentioned and then decide that it was going to be in addition to your sort of offering? So I've been vegan now for five years. And as a company, we have been a vegan company. Now, it's not the hardest thing to make vegan hot sauce. Right. But from our social media to our recipe suggestions to our website, we have always stayed plant-based, 100%. And in that process, I really did want to bring something to the table. You know, five plus years of vegan is not so long that I don't remember the flavor and the aromas of, you know, the omnivore food, if you will. And I wanted to have something that was really a true, easy, delicious replacement one-to-one for cheese and dairy. That was something we started with what was called our, our cheddar craving and spicy queso seasonings under Seed Ranch. And those were the base initially that I used oh. to develop the mac and cheeses. So things like nutritional yeast and tapioca flour and some coconut flour in there and, and spices and various things that really gave it this, this pleasing aroma. So it was, it was a drive to provide what I didn't find in the market, which was, mm-hmm. you know, initially our first product line is a you know, box mac and cheese, right? So grown as classic and truffle mac and cheeses. I've been searching out there. I couldn't find anything that I wanted to eat, much less my kids wanted to eat. And so that was really the white space and the excitement uh, around it. So stumble upon, no, it was certainly a kind of a slower process than I would say, have an idea for a hot sauce that I could develop in a weekend and test in a week and a half and, you know, get to a five gallon test batch in, in two to three weeks. It was really intentional in terms of finding something that not just plant-based people will eat, but it's just delicious food that happens to be plant-based. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you didn't name it Seed Ranch Mac and Cheese. How come? I love Seed Ranch. And 2017, 2018, 2019, we really started getting going while I was figuring out, is this going to be a brand that I grow? Is this going to be a side project? What piece is this going to play in terms of my my personal career as well as, as a company? it was really designed around more of this kind of sophisticated culinary palette. And what we found is that that resonated at the farmer's market, resonated with our core customer group, but I wanted something that would be fun, playful, especially the kids could really lighten up and get excited about. So in developing that brand, we went through a couple iterations and then MacMan, our little logo, which I'm wearing here, kids absolutely loved. We're asking about plush toys, you know, MacMan, and so it was designed to be a fun and playful brand that would capture your eye on the grocery shelf and get you to pick it up. Then you can learn about oh, it's 25 grams of protein in a box. You know, it's zero cholesterol. It's all these great things. And finally, you make it, you taste it, and you realize oh, this is delicious, right? Mm-hmm. So it was it was a different approach of Yes, we still have those sophisticated flavors and we have, you know, a kind of long-term commitment to quality ingredients, ingredients you can read and trust, right? Ingredients that my mother would recognize as food, but a brand that's playful 
and takes over a category that's kind of just a sea of blues and greens and various colors with no real kind of character to them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you wind up diverting attention? I know a lot of people try to stay as focused as possible at the beginning. And did you wind up diverting attention away from Seed Ranch when you did Grown As, or you feel pretty good about the relationship between them and how much time you spend on both of them? That's a really great question. And it's such a hard question as an entrepreneur because we have so many ideas. We have to say no to a lot of them, right? It's it's about passing on good to get to great. So for the long term of the company, I think it's been a really good focus. I believe, you know, we talked a little bit about this maybe the, the first time we chatted, but this idea of our biggest constraint as a team, as a small team with, you know, outsourced contractors and, you know, co-manufacturers, things like that is around time. And it's not just time to do what we need to get done, but it's time for creativity. It's time for, you know, getting and gathering our tribe around the table, right? And so it's definitely been a stress test in terms of making sure that we get to everything. I think that we found a good balance and, you know, a a big part of that kind of strain on the creativity has been how do we put in place as many systems as we can as a small team to be able to automate, to run, to share resources, to share ideas, to bring the brands together. I wouldn't do a third brand immediately. Let's put it that way. Uh (laughs) I think they, you know, in this calculated growth kind of phase, right? It's about, all right, hot sauces have been a linear growth. I believe with grown as foods, the one-to-one cheese replacement, you know, and that opportunity. And we are really getting on the exponential growth train. Um, And that's really a factor of both the type of category. If you, Christy, buy a bottle of hot sauce, my guess is you probably won't go through it in an evening. However, box mac and cheese, you make it, you cook it, you eat it, right? Velocity, it's not rocket science. But that that ability, you know, to, to see an opportunity, work through it, while, you know, of course, maintaining our relationships with existing customers, with existing buyers. And now the fun part is on the back end of that kind of struggle, we're seeing that those those brands dovetail really well together. And the same customers and the same buyers who loved us for the flavors that we created with Seed Ranch are beginning to pull that in from the grown-as side. You're talking about buyers at, at retail, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, what about consumers? Do you have the same consumers or are they totally different? There's definitely a Venn diagram, a hundred percent. And also if you think about our goal has been to create fans as well as consumers. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they took a risk on us to try the product in the first place, whether that was at a farmer's market or on the shelf at a King Supers or Whole Foods, they took a risk on us. And now we want to reward them by saying, Hey, look, we're here with this new product. You can trust that it's going to taste great, yeah. right? Flavor remains the most core of all our values, you know, and then the other nutritional value and ingredient quality and all of those different pieces. Are they the exact same consumer? No, no. I mean, you know, everyone's got their own look, feel, and we want to meet both customer sets where they are. Yeah. But in the middle, there is a substantial overlap. Interesting. I have a lot of questions for you about that part of it, but I want to just take a step back for a second and talk about you. How did you wind up doing this versus any old job? Like, were you doing something else and then were like, this is my calling or tell me how you got 
here? Were you always an entrepreneur? So I started my first company when I was 22, 23. I was working a consulting job in Boston at the same time. And it was really pure passion that got me going. It was called MakeMeSustainable.com. You know, sustainability and clean power have been a big part of who I have been and what I care about. That has carried through, you know, at the time when I started Seed Ranch, it was very much food and cooking and the culinary world was my passionate hobby, not mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. job, right? And then there's the, the the famous, you know, Twain quote of make your vocation your vacation, right? And I think that that's, that's excellent, right? I, I do believe we need to be successful as entrepreneurs. We need passion, curiosity, and a problem to solve, right? And so those were the kind of three founding things for me. And so what used to be, hey, this is my sanctuary in the kitchen to cook for myself, to cook for my family, to you know, cook for my friends, became, okay, well, I'm going to do that every day for all of my customers and all of my potential customers, the same as I, I would my family. So bringing that same passion to the table, it became very easy for me to, to see the path forward instead of it being, okay, well... Um, am I am I passionate about you know selling whiteboards? No, maybe not. Right? Am I you know it's it's really about tying in something that you know I could see immediate reaction and immediate mm-hmm. one bite, one you know kind of smile and one happy person around the table. You made some changes. You obviously made some sacrifices, right? I mean, I'm assuming this is your full time job running two brands now has been for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about the transition into this real, like you were taking some big risks and you were rolling some big dice. I founded a number of companies now and my first company we successfully exited, which was huge and and really great for a first time entrepreneur. My second company, Siva Energy, was a wonderful concept. I started with a great engineering co-founder and we built and then ran into some very real, we went from 99% success to 100% failure on a manufacturing run. And almost overnight, the business went away. I wouldn't say wow. you know, quite. It was a big learn in terms of supply chain. It was a big learn in terms of you know, maybe thinking, okay, we had one exit and so I know how to do this now. Uh, so eating a little bit of humble pie. And then you know, I, I like to think about this idea of return on failure, right? This idea of what can we learn from fails? To me, the the difference between a learn and a fail is that a fail has to be really painful. Mm -hmm. It has to be painful to, you know, either reputation or to bank account or to whatever, where you have to rethink it because you can't get around it. And so in that process, I kind of looked very carefully right around the time that I was starting to make these sauces with my original co-founder, who's still advisor in the company now at Seed Ranch. And when I was looking at that and experimenting with it, it was very much in my mind of, okay, how do we make this successful? How do we make this something that, you know, the moment someone tastes, they are delighted with. And in terms of the type of business, it was really interesting for me now to shift into something that was immediately sellable if you will, for very low capital input, we'll put it that way. But I love the story of the RX bar founders. Uh, I think I heard it on 
the guy Raz, how I built this. But, yeah. you know, his dad said, well, why don't you just shut the F up and go sell 10,000 bars? And I was like, that's a, a really good piece of advice if you can do that. Yeah. Right. Some problems are different than others. I've come a long way. And as an entrepreneur, the, the highs are Everest and the lows are the mm. Grand Canyon. And trying to, to live a normal life, you know, be there for my boys on the weekends while also knowing, well, heck, this past Saturday and Sunday, I was also in the warehouse because we have pallets going out to, you know, Sprouts and, and others. And it's been a, a lesson in work-life balance, a lesson in emotional balance, being able yes. to separate out business emotions from personal emotions and not having that be the only thing that I project out into the world, project out onto my family, my friends, my immediate you know, community. Yeah. I think emotional balance for an entrepreneur is probably the most important thing you could think about because of what you said, because of how high the highs are and how really low the lows can be. I think if you let yourself go both ways, you're, you wind up, I mean, you're, it's not healthy, right? It's either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, you mentioned passion, curiosity, and a problem to solve, which is one of my favorite things I've heard. I love that. I'm sure that's going to be the lead into your podcast. It's so brilliant. Talk about what problem you were solving with Seed Ranch first, and then with Grownaz. I think I've borrowed those concepts. I don't want to say I've claimed any of them, but mm -hmm. I believe that passion keeps us going mm -hmm. when the times are tough. Yep, It's what keeps, you know, the the soul and the emotional light on, if you will, curiosity. And I talk internally a lot about Kaizen, this, you know, I think it was a, a Japanese, it was a CEO of Toyota who gave it with this culture of constant improvement Yes, that if you're just treading water, you're not moving forward. Right. Yep. So the passion and the, the curiosity really keeps you going through different flavors, different products, different channels, different, you know, various things. And then problem to solve, very obviously. I mean, I think we've we've all been guilty of saying, man, everybody has the same problem as I do. And then you create a solution only to realize, well, mm -hmm. not really, or it's part of a solution. So with Seed Ranch in particular, it really did start. Personally, I always loved spicy food, but I never found a hot sauce that in and of itself in the bottle I was happy with. So mm -hmm. it would be, I would take something really spicy and then blend it up with other spices with, you know, mixing fat with heat, mixing vinegar with, you know, milder heat, bringing out all these. So I was creating sauces already for myself and for others, you know, and so the saucier was the first title I thought about. And then I realized that the problem was bigger. It was about bringing the culinary back into and, into the bottle, right? Into the world of CPG. And the, the reality is more and more of us, you know, we're busy. We're eating takeout for lunch. We're, you know, we got, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, I'll get home and I've got 45 minutes to get my kids fed and, you know, showered so that they can do their homework, et cetera. Right. So it was kind of like, how do I make something that you can take so as basic as rice plus protein and a seed ranch flavor yeah. and create a magical meal for every day. That was really the big problem and opportunity that I saw with that. And then with Grown As, it was a really simple one, which was I personally, for five years, was searching for a box of vegan mac and cheese that tasted good, wasn't goopy, wasn't some kind of yep. sauce packet that you know made me think about 
I don't know, primordial ooze instead of cheese. <laughs> and, you know, I, I grew up, craft was like a special occasion thing, but I loved that as a kid. And just that cathartic experience of, you know, you boil the pasta, you know, you, you put in your butter, you put in your milk, you put in the cheese packet, and then like, voila, it's this amazing osmosis that turns it into mac and cheese, right? And so I, I really wanted to set out for that and something that parents could feel good feeding their children on a daily basis, right? And adults could feel good about, hey, this is absolutely delicious. I mm -hmm. will buy this again. I will eat it again. I remember when my daughter was young, I used to wait for her not to finish her mac and cheese so I could finish it. <laughs> <laughs> me too, Under me too. I it was so good. It was so good. And there hasn't been a, I mean, I don't think I know of a vegan one that I actually liked until I told you, I tried yours at, was it fancy food? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was fancy food. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was great. I would have never guessed it was vegan when I tried it. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, so that's, think, that's like the pinnacle of, of totally. Yeah, there we go. It definitely great. is because I think that's the thing that people are exactly what you were experiencing. There really just wasn't a really good vegan one. Are your kids vegan too? No, they are by choice vegetarian. I was briefly still cooking my, you know, 11 year old who at the time was seven or eight, like bacon on the weekends and being uh -huh. like, why am I, why am I doing this? But they actually watched the movie Game Changers yeah. and loved it. And we're like, okay, but we're still going to eat cheese on our pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, my thing is, look, I, I want them to make their own choices. And I feel the same way about customers. I want our customers, whether they be vegan or just interested in eating more plants, omnivores, doing Meatless Monday, want to give everybody the opportunity to eat something that's truly delicious that also mm -hmm. has benefits for health, for planet, right, for animals, all these different pieces. Yes. Whether or not that's your core belief, your core, what you need, if you want, or what you want. But they chose to go vegetarian and haven't turned back. And it's been fun for me. And I, I continue to give them what they want even when it's not exactly what I would do because they're kids and why not, you know, mm -hmm. allow them to have candy on Halloween and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So yes. I want to go back to talking about the brands and the creation of, and the scaling of them. So talk a little bit about your process, your partnerships, your investments, like you're not investments that you're making the ones, the investors that you have, gotten to invest in the brand. Has there been any disconnect between the two brands or is everyone sort of on board with the whole thing? If you're going to get involved, you're, you're all in. We only raised our seed round this year. Okay. So Seed Ranch was a very linear growth, cash flow positive. You know, so you, and you did it on um, your own. You bootstrapped pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I went out to raise, I was very conscious about the market opportunity. Again, hot sauce is not hard to create. There's, a, there's probably, you know, 60 different hot sauce companies in Colorado alone. Right, it's, right, you right. know, there's a lot of right. competition. With the mac and cheese, I knew a couple of things. One, I knew I would need more resources. So obviously, the cash from Seed Ranch was able to support all of our R&D through Grown As Foods, which was tremendous. And we loved it. And then the opportunity you know, 4.4 billion a year is the mac and cheese market, you know, in wow. this country alone. Kraft sells a million plus boxes a day. And, you know, I knew that both in terms of our cash needs, as well as the opportunity that we would need some outside financing. You know, I didn't have the personal balance sheet to help that in any you know way, yeah. shape or form that would really move us forward. So 
it was going out and finding like-minded investors. Now, I will say, like with any round, no matter how good the opportunity, there are disagreements. So there were investors who said no because they were confused about having two brands. I also uh-huh. had investors who said enthusiastically yes because we love the idea of an existing brand that is going to support the other. The entrepreneurial founder whiplash is very real, as we yeah. know, and you you know we'll always hear one thing from one set of investors and 180 degrees the other way from another. I do believe that in going out to raise, I had a very you know solid sense of where we wanted to go and how we could make sure those two brands dovetailed together and eventually may become one brand down the road and what the product roadmap looks like there, what, what the opportunity, the channel strategy. I, I mentioned calculated growth earlier, you know, it was certainly something that we think about very carefully and the two ways most businesses can fail, I think is either not to grow fast enough or yeah. to grow too fast, <laughs> yes. right? So That's tricky. been front and center. And so in the process of raising, it wasn't, hey, we're going to be in 10,000 doors in one and a half years and we're going to be out of cash well before that ever happened. It was, hey, we know exactly where we want to go with this, where our customers are and how we can reach them. And then we will go and raise the next round or we will go and you know basically solidify our fundraising around the path and the channels and the strategy that we're taking, not just here's a pool of money, go run and Mm -hmm. open as many doors as possible. Mm -hmm. Which is brilliant because that's one of the things that I've seen brands fail at. Too many doors, too soon, no ability to support the retailers. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than losing distribution, actually. I think it's- Yeah. 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 Because because you, you, you couldn't move through. Yeah. And you said it support, right? In the same way as we think about building our fans on the customer side, we also want to work with every buyer and every yes. chain, whether it be two or three scores yeah. or 300 stores, yeah. right? To support. So it's on shelf, but we gotta, we want to get it moving off shelf. We want to get people to love us and love yeah. where they are finding us. What have been the biggest challenges for you doing this? Is it have anything to do with having two brands or is it just the same kinds of things that everyone faces, getting distribution, keeping distribution, cost of goods, yeah, all the things that yeah, and I would, you know, I would break it, I would break it down onto two sides. One is the the personal founder team side, and one is the business reality side. On the business reality side, I will say the last 12 to 18 months with supply chain have been incredibly challenging. We saw a doubling of costs from bottles to caps to shrink pans. Labels have gone up. Red Onion, which was previously incredibly available, went to be one of the most expensive ingredients we use. And I'm like, well, it's Red Onion. How well, It's everywhere, right? But between COVID, supply chain, and a bad crop, crazy. The other side, in terms of the, the personal side, and the team side, and I, I say team very much, like we're the size where we're kind of a family, right? Where I think as you get larger, you really do have to think about a company's team, you know, right butt, right seat. Is this the right fit? Even mm-hmm. At this stage, you know, it's about managing my own personal emotions and kind of excitement and, you know, trying to move as fast as we can while also doing it in a way that is sustainable for a team. Yeah. And then time and that time piece with the creativity piece and the ability to kind of walk our customers through the entire journey from discovery to 
delight to infatuation, if you will, that has certainly been a strain on our resources by having two brands, because it does mean, especially the early stages, we're slowly introducing grown-as foods to our seed ranch customer base. It's a little more established. The, the investment made, however, on that side, I think has paid dividends in the sense that it's forced us to really understand each of our customers, create those customer personas internally so we know who we're talking to and where they are, where they shop, you know, what types of foods they like to eat, et cetera. And so the biggest challenge, again, time and creativity to tell our story and sit around the table with our customers and go from customer to fan to tribe that really, really loves yeah. us. It's been a glorious journey and we continue on that with no small amount of trial and tribulations, you know, and I love the idea of supply chain coming back to normal, but the reality is now we also have a new normal. So uh -huh, maybe true. things will come come back down in price, but, you know, gas prices, for instance, like, yeah, they'll come back down a little bit, but are they going to go back under three bucks a gallon anytime soon? Mm, doubt it. I think that the new normal is everything's going to change all the time. That's what it feels like <laughs> to me. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like there was so much money and there were so many people investing and then COVID happened and it completely stopped dead in its tracks. And then it came back. And now with inflation and now the, the idea that you could prove your value someday later, that's over. You can't be not profitable for very long anymore and or cash flow positive and expect to attract a lot of investors. It's just different. And it'll probably change right. again soon. Who knows? Yes. Every two years, right? It's grow, yes. grow, grow. And then, oh, wait, wait, let's rein it back in. Mm -hmm. Let's be cash flow. Okay, okay, grow, yeah. grow, grow. Okay, let's, you know. Yeah. And with each investor, each fund, each, you know, it's at a different cycle and the nuanced part of fundraising that yeah. most entrepreneurs, you know, myself included, you don't understand until you're in the room, nope, until you've you have no had 25 meetings and you suddenly realize, oh, there's been a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And I've got to adapt to the new normal. I like to talk about sustainability within reach, meaning, okay, let's grow and grow fast, but have the ability, plan A, B, C, D, to rein it back in to mm -hmm. a certain you know amount and be sustainable and weather those storms. Now, yeah. best laid plans, you know, again, some some things, you know, you never expect the Spanish Inquisition, as you know, Monty Python says, but it's it is about all right. How do we make sure we're we're never too far out over our skis so that we're just tumbling down the mountain? Mm -hmm. Yep. What's next for you guys? Talk about that because you obviously have great ideas and you have a really exciting business and Gronaz is pretty new. What's next? I'm really excited. You know, we're rolling out to Sprouts right now nationwide with four sauces. So our truffle hound everything but the sushi umami and Thai green. And that's just really exciting partnership. Uh, we've just, we're rolling out to Hy-Vee with our grown-ass mac and cheese this week, this weekend and next. And then we actually got confirmation also from Sprouts for our grown-ass mac and cheese in right. Q1 next year. So we're, we're creating those, yeah, yeah, we're creating those relationships. We're also creating the programs around which we're going to support those relationships, yep. right? And of course, we're talking with other retailers. We've got a, lots of other irons in the fire. And then for grown-ass foods in particular, it's about one-to-one -one cheese replacements in the center store, right? Yep. And if you think about that as a guiding light, there's a lot of different opportunities. That we I was going to say, that gives you some serious options. Yeah. 
you know, Seed Ranch hot sauce, not great in the food service world, but I, again, same as on the shelf in restaurants, it's been very rare for me to find restaurants that do cheese sauce or cheese flavor well. So grown as we're really experimenting and really pushing into the food service side to allow everything from, you know, cheesy fries to mac and cheese to dipping sauces to, you know, more fine dining applications too, but experimenting with that back of house. And, you know, that's really important for us because it's been shown over the last few years, a a lot of people's first experience with plant-based proteins and plant-based meat alternatives have been in the food service world. So whether it be an Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger, and I know there's a whole kind of debate happening right now of, you know, did plant-based meat grow too fast, too far, and, you know, overestimated demand. And I think there's going to be a lot of shakeup in that space. And there are a lot of competitors, but when I go to a run-of-the-mill restaurant, they'll often have either a house-made or a beyond or an impossible option, but no plant-based cheese. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice opportunity. And by the way, there's you know 50 million Americans who are lactose intolerant. So beyond plant-based as a lifestyle or vegan as a lifestyle, there's a lot of health reasons, you know, whether it be Yep. You know, lactose intolerance, heart healthy, low cholesterol diets, diabetes, all of these things play in. We want to service that. So, you know, I talked about earlier, the challenge we have as a small team is about getting to the great ideas and nodding and acknowledging the good ideas, but continually moving and being really selective about where we go and also the partnerships we like to take on. Like I would love to have a nacho cheese sauce in every ballpark in America that is plant-based, that's dairy-free. Walk before we run, right? And yes. kind of move down that direction. How do you know the difference between a good idea and a great idea? Oh, man, that's a I know, it's a hard one, question. but you said it. <laughs> oh, it's a hard one, no. Somebody recently asked me, it was the CEO, the president of Escoffier Cooking Schools. So. They have two physical cooking schools, but also 10,000 plus online students. And they train an immense amount. They do an amazing job of training, you know, the next generations of cooks. Yeah. And he asked me, what is the perfect dish? And what I, I told him was, you know, to me, the perfect dish, it depends on the situation. Because if you're feeding a table yep. full of kids or a table full of adults, very different. But the perfect dish is one that a year later, everyone around that table still remembers. Yeah. Right. So if I think about a good idea to a great idea, a good idea to me is one that people around you, people are like, okay, all right. Yeah, I would, I'd, I'd enjoy that. Okay. A great idea is one that has people signing up and wanting to be your next taste tester. A great idea is one that you can see so much white space that it's blinding, right? Where you've got, okay, this is good in how many different ways? It's it's kind of like the idea of a of an offer so good that you can't refuse it or you'd feel stupid refusing it, right? I do firmly believe in kind of trusting your gut as an entrepreneur to the extent that you trust your gut until you test it, right? If you trust it to the end of time, well, uh, you know, sometimes you get back to that, you created a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. We hear no or I'm not sure, or what about, have you considered so many different times that I have two ears and one mouth, I'll listen, I will, 
and then I'll test my own kind of, you know, gut reaction, my own hypothesis, right? Yeah, that's smart. You've been so generous with your time, but I want to ask you one more thing before I let you go. Sure, sure, sure. Advice, advice for up and coming entrepreneurs. They're starting brands. They're not sure what to do. They're not sure what everything means. What would you tell them? What are the like two or three things you wish that someone had told you earlier that maybe someone did tell you early on? So the first three would be passion, curiosity, and a problem to solve. You can cross half the things off your list, most likely by just that stress test. The other one I would say is interview your customers before you ever have a product, before you spend any time developing. Understand from the people who would buy it, is that really the problem? And a lot of the time, it's not that there's no problem. It's that the problem of, oh, well, I really needed to mix white and black to get gray that you're thinking about is, well, no, I actually need the colors of the rainbow all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's nuanced. So I think that's a really big one. And then the last one, I really like to throw this one out there, but is start a Roth IRA because you're going to thank me later. Talk about that. You know, if you spend your life in corporate America, some way, shape or form, you have your 401k, all that. And as an entrepreneur, time flies by. So we learn and the, the, you know, the media likes to talk about the successes or the massive failures. Yep. Yep. The in-between is very rarely covered, right? So it's kind of about, mm-hmm. okay, you still have to watch out for yourself as an entrepreneur, for your family, you know, that if you can go out and ten, sell 10,000 bars before you think about the fundraising. And I know that's easier said than done. But for me, I'm about to turn 40 next year. And that's my single best investment that I've made over the last 12 years. Not because I made great choices, or I made, but because I did it and then I forgot about it. And I looked back on it, I was like, oh, that's really nice because I don't have an employer match for it. Okay, I don't have, you know, and most people who will invest in your business are not going to want to see you paying yourself, you know, 150 grand a year right out of the right. gates. No, we are all, we're looking for the big next thing and there's a lot of risk involved with that so mm-hmm. mitigate it as best you can that's great that's i that you're the first person who's ever said that i love when something comes up that's never come up because sometimes you wonder if there are new things to talk about and there always are but that's a really interesting one because that's not about the business that's about making sure you're taking care of regardless yeah 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 and yeah. it's you know we forget about the human factor often, right? We forget about the fact that founders are human from the most successful to the least successful, but you got to keep moving. And again, passion and curiosity are going to do a whole lot for you there, right? And having a problem that you can continue to work away at, but there's so much other good advice that I have heard or learned and, you know, everything from, including know your non-negotiables. You know, I think that's really important for a lot of folks is people are going to ask you to do things that maybe you don't feel comfortable doing. And if Mm -hmm. you have black and white non-negotiables, great. You know, for me, one is my family, right? Like my, my boys, I'm a, you know, single dad half the time. And when they're with me, I'm really, really picky about anything that I agree to do. And if somebody wants to book a meeting with me at five, 99% of the time, the answer is no. You know, because I know that I'm not going to get any of that time back. Yeah. 
and I want them to remember. And, you know, they're down here with me a lot of time at the warehouse. They're playing in amongst the pallets. They're helping me pack boxes from time to time. And I think all that is great. It's fantastic. It's character building. They have a good time, but not going to sacrifice any of their activities or any of their joy just because, okay, I've, I've got to make the next deadline. I've got to make the next thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good advice too. Anything else before we wrap up that you want to talk about? I mean, your story is amazing and I'm definitely following along because I want to see where you guys wind up. And I, I really love both of the things that you talked about so much. So I'm really happy for you, but anything else you want to share before we end? I always love to hear from customers, from potential customers, from from buyers in terms of, you know, whether it be the macro side, the micro side, hey, I think you're, you know, we will get reviews all the time, one after the other. One says, oh, it's too spicy. The next one says it's not spicy enough. So that human connection, you know, whether it be reaching out through LinkedIn, whether it be, you know, emailing, you know, I'm Delcourt at cedarranchflavor.com. Very happy. I, I love to hear from people. I love to hear you know, what they like, what they don't like. I'm not always going to take that into account in my next sauce or my next product, but it's the human connection and building that fan base and building the tribe, you know, that really keeps us going as a team. And so, yeah, please follow along and any type of your own learns, your own fails, your own returns on failure. That's, that's a big one for me to try and see ahead of time. What are the watchouts and yeah. how do we get in front of our own, you know, blinders? Yeah. Great. Well, that's great. I mean, that's great advice. I'm sure you'll get some emails because you offered it up. <laughs> so I would be surprised if someone didn't take you up on that, but that's really cool. Um, and I'll put, put that in my blog post as well. Cool. Excellent. Well, Thank you, Excellent. David, so much for your time, for your patience. I know this one took a long time to get right. Um, so I really, <laughs> really appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been such a pleasure. So much yeah, fun. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.